0: Eve Picker, Today's guest is the founder of Small Change, a crowdfunding portal for socially responsible real estate. An architect, she is a lover of cities and thinks like an urban designer. She is a real estate developer and fintech pioneer. Above all, she is an urban change agent. She'll also share insights about her superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. Eve, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I'm thrilled to catch up with you. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, you are doing some work that's just right in the sweet spot of of you know my passion for uh, for the world uh, with in crowdfunding for social good. My gosh, uh, uh, and so it's a thrill to be able to talk to you a little bit about the great work that you're doing. Um, You run a platform called uh, a a FINRA-regulated portal Mm -hmm. uh, called Small Change. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how that came about.
1: Oh, you want my origin story. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So Small Change is a real estate crowdfunding platform. And as you said, we're a funding portal with FINRA-regulated because we want to use this special little rule called regulation crowdfunding and that rule lets anyone who's 18 and over invest in real estate through our platform which is a pretty remarkable thing you know this is now the opportunity for everyone to generate wealth in through real estate which as we know, it wasn't possible before. So I, I came to this, um, I'm an architect by training. Um, I have a master's in urban design from Columbia, and I've always been really fascinated by cities, um, which is why I did the urban design degree. Um, always loved cities um, and um, and found myself unexpectedly moving to Pittsburgh a couple of decades ago, um, which was a transformational thing for me. I grew up you can hear this is not a Pittsburgh accent. <laughs> I grew up in Australia, which is a, a wealthy and um, well a, a wealthy a, a wealthy country that has five or six very large cities. It really isn't at all like the United States in that most of the although it's as large as the United States, most of the country is a desert. So. People are aggregated in very large cosmopolitan cities. And Pittsburgh, um, as you know, is a rust-built city and really has an amazing uh, and sad history. When, when the steel mill production left uh, at the end of the, I suppose in the 1980s, um, the population more than halved. So that was a pretty dramatic thing. Just like Detroit and the car industry, that's the impact that the steel industry had on Pittsburgh. And so I found myself in this really interesting place, which, you know, there was a lot of wealth here through the steel barons. So downtown Pittsburgh is one of the most beautiful little downtowns you've ever seen, really stunning, gorgeous architecture. And yet the remainder of the city was half empty. I mean, complete neighbourhoods deserted while other neighbourhoods are thriving. And so um, I actually moved into a neighbourhood that was right next to one of the wealthiest neighbourhoods in Pittsburgh. And on the other side of it was one of the poorest and most racially divided. And I became involved in Founding a community development corporation and started doing real estate development um, as an in in the nonprofit realm as a volunteer, and just fell in love with it. it. For me, it was like coming home. Like to be able to take something that was nothing and turn it, you know, through financing and architecture and everything, into something that's valuable in the neighborhood was just a a really fabulous journey for me. So I quit. Um, I quit architecture, actually, and I and I became a developer. Uh, it's kind of like going to the dark side, <laughs> um, and started doing these projects that everyone told me I couldn't do. You know, <laughs> I yeah. think you know developers are a really big word, and there are developers who come from all sorts of walks of life. Some are, um, have been in finance. Some have been in um, in law. But I really was interested in doing development that would make a difference, make some impact somehow, and I, and I wanted to stay in the city. I wasn't interested in green fields. I wasn't. I just wanted to make a difference, and here was this place that was almost like a tabula rasa for me. Lots of vacant buildings and lots of places to experiment. So um, I built a small portfolio of a period of maybe. 10 15 years um, that portfolio included projects that were really groundbreaking i was the first loft developer in downtown pittsburgh literally had a banker say to me oh honey no one's going to live downtown um, i have two <laughs> i have two women bankers to thank for my portfolio i think without them i would not have had a chance I was the only female developer in Pittsburgh for many years, which is kind of a shocking thing to say out loud. you can yeah. imagine that this is a very um, white male uh, monoculture industry and and still is and I kept tackling these projects because for me it was fun and I like the challenge in in places where no one, Wanted to go. I actually purposely picked neighborhoods that no other developers were working in, and I'm a patient person. So, unlike some people who want instant return, I, under, I sort of, sort of intuitively knew that these projects would be a long term hold. But then, um, in the late two thousands, a couple of things happened that really stopped me cold in my tracks, and. Um, I had developed a, a formula for doing these really tough projects, and my partners were the city, the Urban Redevelopment Authority, um, because typically banks will only lend about forty percent of a of a project like that in Pittsburgh, where the market is soft. So I needed other sorts of funds, like matching facade grants and historic tax credits and all sorts of things. I had one project that took 12 sources of financing to get completed. Um, sometimes my husband was strong-armed into investing or my architect or my um, my contractor. And then in the 2000s, three things happened that were really, really shifted things. One was that um, the bank consolidation. So maybe 15, 20 years ago, we had... Um, over 15,000 banks in this country, and now there are less than 5,000. So that really felt like community banking had died and the banks that were interested in supporting these sorts of projects just were gradually disappearing. The second yeah. thing is that the Bush administration cut back on CBDG funds, community, um, did I say that right? Community block yeah, development community grants. Community development
0: block grants.
1: Right. And those funds were the funds that flowed through to our urban Redevelopment authority and were repurposed as second deferred mortgages and matching facade grants, and all those extra uh, funding streams that are necessary for for projects in in, um, in underserved and underinvested places that funding dried up and I found myself going to the urban redevelopment authority and they were saying things like we have 10 percent of the funding we used to have we don't and we so many people are asking us for funds we don't know what to invest in and then of course the bank meltdown and all of a sudden all of that in hand with increased equity requirements made it pretty well impossible for me to get anything done And and uh, you know I'm not the only developer like this. This is what it looked like for a while. Since then, I think new market tax credits have emerged and other funding sources. But it was a real, a real shift. And I decided I needed to undo my business. I made sure everyone had a job. I made sure my portfolio was stabilized, and I. Um, put in the hands of a property manager, and I started thinking about, well, what can I do with these skills I have? When someone came along and talked to me about the Jobs Act <laughs> um, and started, and it was actually a builder, and he 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 had this idea that this might be a way to raise money for projects, and I started thinking about it and decided to build small change. So that's, you know, the other thing I learned in Pittsburgh is through community development, I think Pittsburgh might be the birthplace of community development, Um, is that people, my neighbours would band together to buy houses to keep them out of the hands of slumlords before crowdfunding was a thing, right? Um, So people have this palpable need to fix and help and support the places they live in. And so when I heard about regulation crowdfunding, I thought, whoa, maybe I wouldn't have had to shut down my business if my neighbors could have been my investors. And that's really what small change is built around, this idea that there are plenty of places that need investment. There are plenty of investors who who want to invest in the places they love. Who need the opportunity to build wealth and haven't had it, and there are lots and lots of developers like myself, whether they're women or minorities, who just don't have an opportunity um, to how can I to get to really build an investor pool that is um, that's the same as the big big guy investor pool, right? So yeah. that that's really where that's really where it comes from.
0: Yeah, that's a, a great history, and I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, you know, the it demonstrates a, an authenticity of purpose and a deep experience base on which to build small change. So, thank you for sharing that. Tell us a little bit about some of the deals you've been able to fund on small change since you launched, and some of the if you dare, tell us about some of the offerings that are currently raising. Oh well, you
1: know, I can't really tell you anything much about the offerings. <laughs> raising. Um, but um, right now, we're actually raising funds for two businesses, which is kind of a first for us. They're both real estate businesses. Um, so that's interesting. One is in Detroit, one is in DC, and one is a construction based business. And the other is really, a, a, a and that's owned by a minority develop, developer. And the other is a real estate development company that's owned by two women. But generally, up until now, we've raised funds for buildings. And they have been, um, and I, I suppose the cons- the consistent thing for us is that we built our own proprietary change index. We, When we started doing this, we looked for an ESG index that would serve us well, and we really couldn't find one. So one of the things I love about this regulation crowdfunding, is that we have to present everything in plain English because, because there are unsophisticated investors or investors, I don't want to call them unsophisticated, but investors who have not invested like this before that we um, we need to speak plainly to. And I couldn't really find an index that served us well. So using my um, urban design background and, and also my experience as a developer, we developed our own change index. And that index really looks at everyday things that everyone understands. Like, is, is is your project walkable? Are you close to the shops? Like, is it close to a park? Could you live there without a car? That's um, That means that you're helping the environment. Can you walk to a grocery store? Or is it a food desert? Is there a third place nearby? Um, What's the walk score? What's the bike score? Where's the closest transit system? Um, does it have green elements? Does it have even more green elements, maybe like wind generation? So we developed this index and we tested it out on quite a few projects and we have been using it religiously for quite a few years now. And that index was really developed um, uh, somewhat uh, in an open-ended manner, I would say, because I think impact comes in many, many different ways. Um, I know some people are focused on environmental impact, but I think there's community and other impact that we just need to think about, and they're all intertwined. So... The first thing that developers do when they come to our site is they have to complete that survey. And if their project doesn't score at least 60%, we, they're we just not a good fit for our platform. Remarkably, this has really branded us. It is a very rare developer who approaches us these days who doesn't fit that index in some way or another. And the thing I'm most proud about is that... Um, at this point, 54% of the developers who have listed offerings on our site are either minority and or woman, which is considering the state of the industry, um, that is a remarkable statistic. Yeah. So so we don't prescribe, and maybe foolishly, <laughs> we don't prescribe the sort of financing um a financing requirement because some of our projects are nonprofits and really can't afford much r- return. And some are, I want to say, maybe bigger impact than others. Some can be more generous in the return because of the type of project they're doing. So that's a little bit all over the map. We have raised money for probably one of the the, the most do good projects on our site, which is was listed by the San Francisco Community Land Trust, they are per or they have purchased at this point a forty one unit residential um, building, and plan to convert it into um, a cooperative owned by the people who live there now. And those people are all um, Black Indigenous people of color. That's a pretty tough project. They don't have. Traditional bank loans, um, they didn't really need to raise the money, but they wanted to engage the community, and they offered a 2% promissory note, which is the, the lowest um, offering on our, our site to date. At the other end of it, we've helped um, a business do two offerings now. Um, they have a business plan to convert the great estates of the Berkshires, beautiful, beautiful historic estates that are no longer really being used because no one really does that anymore, like 15, 30-room residences. They are trying to purchase them and repurpose them for the sharing economy so people can uh, rent them for an event, a small family event, a wedding. Um, The rates are competitive with the local holiday inn. Um, and they're absolutely stunning estates. So their problem's are very different. They right. they cannot get bank loans easily because they're considered rural properties, and they often have to make an arrangement, a purchase loan arrangement with the owner of the estate, and they really need to raise a lot of funds through crowdfunding. That is their, that's an equity need they really seriously have. It's not a well you know we'll get it another way so that you know that's a very big range um of of ideas and everything in between we've had projects that um i mean just that that really focus on community engagement that's their primary goal um and and many others that really need to raise equity or debt or in some other form to make it work so they're all wildly different and i love that um Everything from a tiny house to we're working with someone right now on a tiny little corner store franchise idea in in rather poor neighborhoods, which I I love, to you know these great estates. Um, we're also talking to some very large developers now. There's been a real shift in the last couple of years, I and mean, even in the last year, where I think some this particular developer is working on an Opportunity Zone site and building millions and millions of square feet in maybe, I think, a 10-phase project over time. And they have raised something like $300 million in equity. They don't need the money, but they are in a place where they really want the community to be able to invest. And so we have been working on um, a way for them to do a smaller community capital raise for each phase of their project. And that's um that's a shift we've been seeing. Larger developers who understand after the um the the upheaval over the last few years how important it is to not just plonk an asset in in a disinvested place and um and not think about the people who were there. So you know, there are definitely shifts going on.
0: Yeah. It, it, it's amazing to hear some of these projects, the, yeah. the large and the small, and it's exciting to think about what, what you're able to do on small change. You know, you have accomplished a lot. Uh, you are an impressive human being. Oh, what I do you attribute? What do you think of as your superpower?
1: My superpower is when someone says no to me, that just makes me go harder. don't know I don't really um that's a great
0: superpower was, <laughs> that's a great one
1: Seriously, I um, I have incredible um stick to itness I suppose I'm actually a very loyal person and um not just to people but to ideas I um I don't get I and I work and I and I have a, a capacity to work very hard which may or may not be good for me but i I like work you know and um i like what i do so i think um i i i think my my superpower is endurance i suppose (laughs) yeah because this is really hard it is actually much harder than i thought it would be and um when i started down this path i honestly didn't even know what a security was so i had to educate myself and then i had to read the 650 pages of regulation crowdfunding when they came out i'd never seen anything like it in in my life but for me it was a a, a challenge like i love problem solving and i could see that that i needed to work through this um, regulation and figure out, well, well, in the end, what does this look like in a technology platform? And by the way, I had never built a technology platform before. So for me, it's like just this, you know, honestly, I think it's because I'm trained as an architect. This is, this is what architects are trained to do. They look at a blank site or a blank building and they have to really – um, problem solve, what it can become that is financially viable. And so for me, that wasn't really much of a different exercise. It was just a different set of tools. I, I think the key to this is taming the regulations, sort of giving into them because I think they're important. They they protect investors and I take that really seriously. That That's what keeps me up at night. But sort of figuring out, how to streamline this is really the biggest part of the job. It's, you know, and then, of course, the marketing and educating investors. I would say that that's been the hardest and taken the longest.
0: Yeah. As you think about, um, you know, your, your superpower of endurance, Let let's. can you think of an example of a specific time when you were able to leverage that to accomplish something important? Oh, my whole life!
1: <laughs> so the loft that I built downtown um I mean, this is not rocket science, but pittsburgh, you know is sometimes described as East Coast and sometimes as midwest, but I would say that from a financing point of view, it's much more midwest and more conservative, so I thought naively this is not a big deal it's a small building I'm going to build eight lofts and I'll be able to sell them and it'll be easy that probably took me two or three years longer than I thought to finance and um was extremely challenging (laughs) and as I said I had a, a woman banker to thank for it and I had to really Rethink the way I was going to what I was going to do with the building based on the financing, but you know that it's really challenging and maybe it would turn someone else off. But for me, it's this really interesting problem-solving educational exercise that just that just really um, I I didn't
0: occur to me to stop. How can I say yeah. that? Yeah. That's great. That's great. If you were coaching someone to be more like Eve Picker, if you were coaching someone to build that inner fortitude, the stick the endurance to accomplish big, important things, how would you coach them to do that?
1: Oh, I don't know. I think I think probably I, I think learning how to chunk things and move and progress progress forward again. I go back to my architecture training where you start really literally with nothing and there's a process that architects are trained to do, like to think let's just say you have a blank site, you think Big. What's your vision for it, and why? What can you? What information can you gather around the edges of it that makes sense? How does it fit in? That's kind of the first step. Once you are absolutely convinced of your vision, then you can start figuring out how to implement it. And that kind and it. It's this iterative process, like big vision, over and over again. And then the next step is. A little more detail, redraft, 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 and it's a very iterative process. I, I really do think that architecture training is unique. I, I suspect engineers are trained the same way, but they they don't have the creative piece, right? But it's very unique in that um, we're makers, right? We are trained to make some very big things out of nothing. Like someone else might make a painting with a canvas and some paint colors and some brushes, but we make these really big things. So, and those things, and as we move along, it goes from vision, you know, to a a sketch idea. I'm going to have eight lofts here and this iterative process talking to financing people and saying, okay, well, I can't have eight lofts. I have to have six because whatever. And eventually it becomes cemented and then you add in the layers of, um, the layers of uh, technical detail. So um, I I think that's why I'm not daunted by this because I really understand that process. And I think that that's a key process for anyone wanting to build something big. And you have to understand it's never fixed. It's always changing. You have to be flexible enough for things to iterate and change. And that flexibility is part of part of
0: the the soup right <laughs> right right well Eve, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me for this conversation We're so grateful uh, before we wrap up, would you take a minute and tell people how they can learn more about small change Be sure to mention your podcast and how people yeah, can yeah, yeah. connect with you on your podcast and then, if if you're open to it, tell people how they can connect with you, whether that's social media or if you want to share a phone or an email, whatever. Let people sure. know how to connect. Sure.
1: So my platform is smallchange.co, not .com, but .co. Um and it's very easy to learn how to invest on the platform. We're trying to improve the educational materials all the time, but you'll see on the homepage there are open offerings and you can click into any one of them and get a very detailed description about the offering. And at the bottom of the page, you can ask ask the developer direct questions if any, if there's anything confusing. Um, we're actually in the process of rebuilding our learn pages to be uh to provide more information to investors as well. So that's the platform and we're unrolling new offerings all the time. Um, so we hope I hope you join us. We also have what we call our media voice, rethinkrealestateforgood.co. Um, it's a platform where um, we post blog posts, um, uh, events that you can attend Um, and other materials, along with a podcast that I publish every week where I interview people in the real estate industry. It's a pretty broad group of people. Anyone in finance or prop tech or apps or real estate development or buildings or CDFIs, it's really whatever fascinates me. I'm really looking for disruptors in the real estate world to, to change things from this very State industry that it's been to one that's open and embraces everyone. So you can reach me at Eve at SmallChange co, or you'll find um, info emails on both sites. And if you think you you're a great podcast guest, there's even a form you can fill out on rethinkrealestateforgood.co and we'll get back to you.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Well, Eve, we really appreciate you coming. I want to thank you too for agreeing to speak. It's at, at uh, uh, super Crowd 22. We're thrilled that you're on our program. Uh, we're looking forward to that event and excited about what that means for the crowdfunding for good industry uh, as a space. And we're we're thrilled that you'll be participating in that event. It's going to be great. Um, oh, yeah. I
1: can't wait. <laughs> it sounds fabulous.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for so much. We wish you every success in your efforts to uh, change the world and do good. Through crowdfunding. We're, we're excited and, and want to see you succeed fabulously. Thank you. All righty. Let's do some good. Yes. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers number four. Good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit DevonThorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.